I'm Derek. And I'm Heather. And this is Let's Talk Outdoors. Heather, today we are here um, looking at, uh, we're re-showing a panel presentation that we had early in the year, back in June. And uh, we featured five different educators um, to kind of be an inspiration for teachers. Yeah, I'm looking forward to resharing this because we did quite a few of these kind of webinars or presentations back in June. And this was, it's, it felt like a timely episode to release at the beginning of our podcast, especially with us returning to schools in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we're, we're coming back. It's uh, the middle of August here and we're getting ready to come back and we're still in the world of COVID. We're still in the world of uh, uncertainty. And so, uh, like, what does that look like? What, I mean, we just released the back to school plan. Have you, have you taken a lot, a lot of look at it, Heather? I did. I took a little bit of a look at it. And I think uh, some of the things that the Minister of Education said plays into our um, in, into Sasco Door's hand pretty well. So, for example, they said that one of the best things that teachers can do is to take their classroom outside as much as possible. Yeah. So I think if we can get kids outside, hopefully, I mean, that hopefully that'll be good. Right. And for you, you teach a land-based education class, a middle school class. Is that right? I do. I do. Yeah. So I think that uh, uh, our division has different pol- some different policies in place, but I'm hoping that, you know, we can kind of say, hey, we're going to set up shop outside, even if it's just in the yard, get some, we can learn how to do some I don't know, lashing, set some tarps up, and maybe we can just set out a, build our own, like, outdoor classroom. I don't know. What's your, do you guys, you do a similar thing, right? You have an outdoor school sort of program. Yes, yes, I do. I, I co-teach an outdoor school program, uh, but that isn't actually until the second semester. Oh. So going into the fall semester, I am strictly an ELA teacher. So I teach grade 10, grade 11, and grade 12 ELA. And so even though getting outdoors is really easy during my outdoor school program, I'm a little bit hesitant when I go into an ELA classroom and I'm told to get outdoors as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to learning again from these panel panelists in this presentation about how to get outdoors and looking, relooking at, uh, at the content that I, that I teach and that I cover and where I can take that outside. Awesome. Um, so We'll get this thing rolling. I think the, we had a, a guest moderator, Mark Westman, uh, joined us. So he'll kind of be leading the discussion with our five panelists. Sometimes in this episode, you'll hear a few things mentioned that you can look at, but it was originally a webinar. So um, if you want to watch the video version, it's you can check it out on our Sasco Doors site as well. And I hope our listeners enjoy learning from Kristen Simonson, Deborah Gibson-Dingwall, David Vanderberg, Amanda Kernega, and Mitch Lowe. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, My name is Mark Westman. Um, I'll be uh, facilitating the presentation today uh, with some help from the Sasko Outdoors crew. So our hope for the panel presentation today is that everyone leaves with a few nuggets of advice, some ideas that are perhaps new, and some inspiration going forward. Um, We hope that the presentation is appealing to everyone, wherever you may be in your journey of outdoor education. Our plan is to first discuss how our panelists got started with outdoor ed before ending with a few pieces of advice for outdoor educators. We have strived to host a panel that is regionally representative of our province. We are pleased to have five experts in the field of outdoor ed join us today. 
So without further ado, if uh, I'll call upon um, each of the panelists to kind of introduce themselves and we'll start up in the north today. Deb, if you would like to introduce yourself, where you're at and what your current role is. Tansei Adlanate. I'm greeting you from Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the traditional Métis. I'm in Larange, Saskatchewan. My name is Deborah Gibson Dingwall, and I am currently an instructor for the Bachelor of Education program at Northlands College University program in Larange. Uh, I also do the practicum for the students, and I involve my students on a regular basis in outdoor education. Thanks, Deb. Glad to have you here today. Uh, next up, Mitch, if you could just say uh, where you are and what your current role is. Sure. I'm also in Treaty 6 territory um, in Saskatoon, and I co-teach the outdoor school program with Claire Miller uh, in Saskatoon Public Schools. Awesome. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, next up, we have Amanda. Hi, my name is Mana Cronega. I'm the principal at Churchbridge Public School, which is in Treaty 4. Um, I teach uh, a variety of things depending on the year, but pretty consistently senior phys ed. I wrote a leadership course recently and uh, been teaching that. Awesome. Thank you for being with us today. David. Hello, my name is uh, David Vandenbroek, and I am in Treaty 4 territory. Uh, the territory is in the Hayawak, Anishinaabek, Dakota, Lakota, Nakota, and Michif Nations. And uh, I work at Prairie Sky School. I uh, co-teach the, the Taproots program, which is a, a place-based um, outdoor education program. It's integrated learning, so we teach... Uh, all subjects through this, through the outdoor lens, um, arts community and nature is kind of the, the foundation of our, of our school. Prairie Sky School is a, um, is a nonprofit school. It's a nonprofit, uh, qualified independent school. So we're, we're actually outside of the, the public school system, um, still through the Saskatchewan government, but we're what's called a qualified independent school. So, that's a big, that's a longer conversation. If anyone wants to know about that, they can email me. Awesome. Thanks, David, for being with us. And our final panelist, uh, Kristen. I'm Kristen Simonson from Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Treaty 4 Territory. Um, I've kind of got two different lenses today. I've got a curricular land-based education for grade 11 that I am doing through our high school. And we also run a fairly large outdoor education extracurricular club. Awesome. Thanks, Kristen. And uh, once, ag once again, just thank you to our five panelists for, for joining us today and uh, sharing some of their expertise with us. Um, look forward to for the conversation. To kind of start us off, uh, I know outdoor education can have, you know, a few different connotations for some people. It encompasses a wide range of things. So the first thing I'd just like to start off with is uh, just hearing from you guys what outdoor education means to you and obviously being involved in it why do you believe it's valuable um for me outdoor education is uh like the way that makes sense to learn i was a, a student in the outdoor school program uh, like 20 some years ago 23 years ago and it's kind of like changed the trajectory of my life um and what inspired me to get into to teaching in the first place. So I, I believe there's a lot of value in uh, like the struggle in learning outdoors and, and having to deal with all the other 
things other than the uh, like the curriculum that you're teaching um, for students. And I, I know later you talk about some soft skills and stuff, but I think that's a large part of the value. Um, and then all the successes that you can have along the way. Uh, in addition to like being on the land and like forming connections to place and that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm just going to say for me, uh, outdoor education is something that's really important for me to make connection to my students. When I went to the far north years and years ago, uh, I didn't have the same language as the children did that I was teaching. And so using the outdoors allowed me to connect to the students. And we had very few resources as well, like materials. So we used the outdoors. And for us, for me, outdoor education became a way of life and absolute survival as a teacher because I could link it into the curriculum. I can I can jump in too. Um, for me, I mean, outdoor ed is kind of on two different, like I said, two different directions. So our extracurricular program connects students with places that they wouldn't normally be able to go if their families don't have an outdoor education background. So you think of hiking or canoeing or um, even backcountry camping that maybe they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. So I think that that's really important to connect kids to those kinds of experiences. Um, And with the land-based environmental education, I'm a pretty big advocate of if you don't have a connection to something, you won't be interested in it. And right now to connect kids to various environmental places or freshwater or forestry or grasslands is really important if we want to have any kind of conservation um, acknowledgement, I guess. I can just add to that, I guess. I agree with everything that everyone else said, but also that, you know, it really makes the learning meaningful and those are the lessons the stuff we do outside are the things that the kids really remember and it sticks with them um, and it it takes all those silos of subjects away and they can see the bigger picture and how everything connects I love that part when they make that big connection um, and it, it, it's really it, it it always kills me when I see a teacher trying to teach plants out of a textbook when we could step outside and and do that exact same thing and the kids probably wouldn't forget it you know so so that's what it means to me. Um, I, I think land-based education is just foundationally the way we humans have been learning forever, right? We've always had a connection to the land and we still have connection to the land, even though um, maybe some of us don't, don't realize that. And I think it's, um, it's just such a natural way for students to learn. And uh, it's as many of the people have already, the panelists have already mentioned, it's, uh, it sticks. It's uh, kids enjoy it. Uh, a very quick story. I had a um, a dad who's their students as a first year in, in our program, and he said to me, "You know, the kids are, you know, they seem to be enjoying it, but man, they're having they're having a lot of fun." And he said it almost as like a, a negative thing. It's like, are they actually learning anything? And I think um, the reality is that because this is such a natural way to learn, um, it is very effective. Awesome. Thanks, you guys. Moving along, um, how, did you, how did you get started in outdoor education and in, in kind of like the roles you occupy in terms of, um, you know, being able to use teaching and your teaching practice to teach from an outdoor perspective? How did you get started in that stream? Maybe we'll start with uh, Deborah. Yeah. 
question. Uh, well, first of all, I was really fortunate because my family believed in spending time in the outdoors and every weekend we went out and spent time there. So that was that whole aspect of when I, when I grew up, it was an expectation that you would engage in the environment. Um, and then uh, I went to the far north with my husband as a teacher and I mentioned to you that I needed the outdoors and I, I really needed it in, to connect to the children and to connect them to the curriculum. So that was my first investigation into outdoor education, just using what was there. And then we moved over to Wallace and Lake and Stony Rapids. And at that time, they started with a program called Project Wet or Project Wild was that first one. And my husband and I got trained in that. And we haven't stopped since. That, that's just what it is. Like there's so many wonderful programs out there. Project Wet, Getting Little Feet Wet, um, all of the that I can use for lesson ideas. So that's how I got involved. And I started getting training. Um, we had a, uh, I believe all of those programs are available through uh, Sask Outdoors and through Project Wet. And Elizabeth Nichols is the national coordinator there. It was then that I started to use it. And then I started using it with my students in the Bachelor of Education program. And they loved it. They were having fun. So then we were doing the certifications as part of our program. Um, since then, I've become a, a facilitator teacher leader for Project Wet Canada with my husband. And the two of us are now doing workshops and that still keeps us in the whole area of environmental education uh, and it's just part of life whenever i look at a lesson plan right now it's sort of like the first thing that goes through my mind is could i do this outside is, is there some way that it could happen so i that would be it for now and and uh i just uh it's, it's a way of life for me Thanks, Deborah. I, I would also pose out to, because I think you, you hit something on the head there. Um, a number of people grow up with those experiences of being out on the land and that kind of kind of whets the appetite, so to speak. Um, how, do, how do you guys um, engage students or individuals who maybe haven't had those um, same experiences growing up that the outdoors, um, while it is kind of like, I feel like they're all of us are kind of drawn to it in a, in a way and in a different way into certain landscapes and places. Um, but how do you engage students who maybe haven't had that, um, that experience growing up and, and who it's, it's a very foreign environment to them um, to get them to, to buy in and to, to want to be out there? Do you find that that just comes naturally? Maybe Mitch, I'll pass that one over to you. Uh, <clears throat> sure. Yeah. So for our program, um, students will uh, apply to be in our program. So they have a little bit of a desire to be there, but uh, um, a shocking number of them have never, you know, spent much time outdoors or outside the city. Uh, so we, we kind of approach um, our school year that we have to like kind of teach them all those skills that they need to be, to be safe out there. And then kind of once that's in place, then we can add in the, the curriculum component that we teach. So our, our first camp um, that we do with outdoor school is often like three days of teaching just basics and, and then like having a lot of fun, um, like 
David mentioned, uh, like kids are kids are having fun and they don't realize they're learning, and that typically is enough to hook them. Um, our students are grade 11 students and they come from all over Saskatoon. And if you've worked with high school students, you'll know that they're like a little twitchy sometimes. And, you know, they're nervous about leaving their friends and their homeschool. And we always find if we can get them through that first camp, um, kind of like the bonding experiences that they uh go through and the challenges that they overcome as a, a group um, is enough to hook them for the rest of the year. Awesome. That's, that's a great point. Um, I may pass it over, D- David, you know, even how do you find how important are kind of the relationships uh, that go hand in hand with, with outdoor education and, and learning in the outdoors? Um, yeah, I was, I was going to pick up on something that uh, Mitch had said about challenges and it's kind of to answer your previous question, Mark, about how do you engage students that maybe uh, don't ha- don't uh, haven't had the opportunity. Um, I had a student that was uh, self-proclaimed allergic to uh, matches, allergic to grass, um, you know, was, was kind of there against her will to a degree, but she had an interest in being out there. And, uh, I think giving students challenges, it's, it might seem a little counterintuitive is like, they already don't want to be there. Uh, you don't want to push them, but I, I think actually students deep down have, um, an intrinsic desire to be challenged and when they, and, and nature is a great leveler of student ability. And, and, um, there's like, everyone's kind of on equal footing in a lot of the new skills that you're teaching students. Um, because most of us haven't, uh, grown up, you know, with, with, a maybe a traditional lifestyle on the land. So most students are at a lot more of a, a level playing field. We want to say that, than a lot of other areas inside the, the school classroom. So when you give them challenges, then they all have equal opportunity to, to thrive. And when they are given an opportunity to push themselves, then they are, they're gifted this amazing um, confidence. And I think that uh, outdoor education or just being outside um, gives students an opportunity to push themselves in ways that they, they just aren't going to get in, in a classroom. And so I think that challenge actually gives students uh, a thirst for, for nature. David is mentioning challenge and just like one thing that we find is uh, when students have success with those outdoor challenges, which are, are pretty attainable things like lighting fires or setting up a tent, um, throughout the semester it starts to like show up in their academic work and they start to build that confidence. Um, and I think that's where like a lot of the value lies with, with these types of programs too, is kind of like building that resiliency and that ability to not give up after the first try. And it uh, you know, progresses throughout the year, but um, that's a real benefit as well. Amanda and uh, Kristen, for you guys, what are some what are some ways in which, uh, you know, you engage your students um, in participating in, in outdoor education? Do you find that they come in with, with that kind of intrinsic desire? Or are there some that really need to kind of be coaxed on? How do you kind of get some of those kids um, invested and involved who are perhaps on the fringes and maybe, you know, a little bit uncertain about getting involved? I think that just by taking them outside, 
you've instantly provided an opportunity for kids to engage in whatever way they want. You're always going to have kids that are jumping up and down and want to start a fire and want to hike a mountain and want to, but you're also going to have kids that maybe stand back and just watch and it's not like a regular classroom where you're trying to get everyone to engage to the same level. It's fine to watch. It's fine to observe. It's fine to do something quiet. Um, I think, and I'm a, I'm a grade 11, like I'm a high school person as well, but um, it's really easy to diversify the different ways that you teach something. So what is good for this student over here might be different for this student over here and to diver differentiate how you how you educate out there is really easy to do as soon as you move outdoors i find scaffolding is really really important and i'm sure that someone else will talk about it too because um to introduce something that's too challenging <clears throat> and <clears throat> something that they may not have success with right off the bat um, might actually not be a good thing, but to have little successes, like I think Mitch was talking about lighting fires or um, being able to hike for five kilometers or small challenges first so that confidence builds, you have the success, you do it with a group of people, now you belong to a little family that all succeeded at the same challenge and it just, it starts to spiral up and, and then I think David maybe said it, that you start to see it I don't know who said it. Somebody said it. You start to see it in other parts of school and their life and whatever, because it just has that overwhelming effect on everything else. I wouldn't disagree with anything anyone said. I think it was all wonderful and I would have the same experiences. Um, we're a K to 12 school. Um, so I have the privilege of, of having these little kiddos right throughout their entire school years and I find um, just building that culture that this is just what we do here right and I'm sure that'd be the same for David um, and this is just our school and we're outside a lot and uh, before you can do that you got to build their trust and you have to build their parents trust too because if they're going home saying oh that Cornega she's taking them out in the winter and they're gonna sleep in the snow oh my god you're gonna die um, I don't get the kids but now that I've been in church for long enough, I find the parents know uh, the value of it, um, but it takes time. And if you're new at this, but I see a lot of people on here that are not new on this. Um, I feel a little silly talking to some of these people uh, as a panelist, because like Joe taught me in university, but um, yeah, you got to build their trust and don't forget about the parents, keep them in the loop and make sure you got their trust too. One thing I would I would be interested uh, and and I believe our participants would be interested in is just how has your has your teaching practice evolved or changed as an outdoor educator? Perhaps you have you know an experience from early on when you began, maybe a success or a failure that's kind of you know shaped um, your practice today. Um, but yeah, how like from when you started as an outdoor educator to to when you look at where you're at now, you know, just maybe give us a, a snapshot how your your teaching practice as an outdoor educator has evolved and, and what you've learned and taken away. Deborah, maybe you want to start with this one. I guess for me, it was the fact that I started out on my, my own connecting to the curriculum and, and that was great. You're talking about starting with children. There's getting little feet wet um, and 
The other one I absolutely love is Growing Up Wild. These are programs to use with children. And one of the things that I found as an educator now is I can take these programs. There's a lot of them. I can take them and then I can connect them. So, for example, Getting Little Feet Wet. The House of Seasons. What I do with that particular activity is I like to use local artists and local authors and children and language. So I have here when the trees um, a creek calendar, which is about the six seasons. Because in getting little feet wet, we're only talking about the Eurocentral um, aspect of four seasons and the woodland Cree. We have six seasons. And then I'm fortunate enough that I use that and, and make it into a story. And I have a friend named Nancy LaFleur who creates story skirts for me. This particular skirt has all of the six seasons on it. So I use it for teaching. This has been one of the biggest changes for me in my particular teaching is how I've learned to integrate culture and language and storytelling into my teaching. So that's where I'm at now. When I started out, it was uh, just whatever I could do. I just said, we're going to go out, we're going to do it. And I had the support of my family, my husband, uh, the community. I, I guess that's where I've come from is to, I've realized the power of story has to be integrated with going outside as well as the culture and the language. Amanda, you were just speaking earlier um, just about needing to build that trust in those relationships, um, particularly in your community. So I'm interested, you know, even just from your perspective, how is how is your own practice um, now where you've you've been able to build some of that trust and that buy-in um, with kids and families? How has your own practice changed when it comes to outdoor education? Yeah, I think it started off more as a, like I'm a, a phys ed major. And so it was always about, you know, I know this is a very healthy thing for kids and it's something I grew up with and loved it, um, being outside and doing the outdoor activity. And, and it's definitely evolved to the point where I can see the deeper um, learning that's happening, right? And relationship building um, and, and making concepts more meaningful and connecting, making things interdisciplinary. I think that's more of where I'm at now. And, and then the, the, the benefits you get from being outside the physical benefits happen, right? I don't have to be very purposeful for that because it's just, it just happens as soon as you take kids outside, what do they say? 20% more steps um, when you do phys ed outside than when you do it inside. So I don't need to think about that part anymore. I think about the other parts. I'm old. So that's the first thing. Um, I'm from the era of, you know, you roll uh <laughs> an overhead projector screen and kids took notes. I'm a biology and chemistry teacher. So for senior science, you know, we have the stereotypical lab coat recipe style lab. You can't possibly learn if you're not in a lab and, you know, um, and I guess the good thing for me was when I did my internship, I did it uh, overseas. So I was lucky enough to do that. And one of the women I was paired with had an out, it was an outdoor class where she was out and teaching and doing all kinds of really awesome things. We were on the on the ocean, on the coast. And so she could do all these really cool things. And I remember thinking, 
oh, that's very different than what I just took at university. Um, but this is also, I mean, in 1998. So things have changed a little since then. Um, but now, I mean, I look at what I do for environmental science, um, and it's very different. It's almost been flipped on its head. I, I'm not in a classroom. I don't do recipe-style labs anymore. I'm very much, I mean, if we were going to talk about water quality, we are talking about water quality at a creek, and we're talking about the different plants that are there, and we're talking about, um, so that has absolutely changed and I'm not so stuck anymore on you know this is the scientific method and we need to go through all these different steps now it's more of a a natural progression of steps what do you notice what what do you see how what what is your evidence what are your observations um and I'm gonna agree with Amanda I mean it just happens when you're outside you don't have to push it quite as much as you might have to if I was you know upstairs in our high school chemistry lab um it's just kind of a natural progression of steps which i personally like a whole lot better so hopefully education starts to move towards that awesome david what about you how have you uh how have you kind of evolved your teaching practice when it comes to outdoor education i haven't been doing this as long as some people have um but uh I think the biggest thing it's already been touched on is um, integration of subjects, interdisciplinary um, nature of, of learning. And I think we do our students a really huge um, disservice to only teach them in subjects all the time because that's not how any of us learn. And so to take the curriculum outside and, and you're doing, I think Amanda talked about, um, you're doing phys ed while you're doing science, while you're doing all sorts of other things, that's a much more holistic and natural way for us to learn. And it's, um, I think all the programs, the, the, the folks that are represented on this panel, um, have somewhat of, a, of an interdisciplinary approach or program, um, with the outdoor ed. And I think that is like the beauty of outdoor education is that, um, you can, you can hit a lot of different subjects and so your, your students not thinking, okay, now I'm doing ELA. Now I'm doing phys ed. Like you're, you're doing all these things at once because learning is so holistic. Um, like for example, in, in our school, like that, that's one of the major tenets of our founding principles is that we do integrated um, holistic curriculum. And so we don't have really an ELA class. We do ELA, we hit all the outcomes, but a lot of it is through discussion about, uh, I think, um, Kristen talked about observational learning. So you're outside, you're noticing and contrasting differences between, okay, here's a pine tree, here's a spruce tree. What do you notice that is different? What is, um, like you don't even need to know that it's called a pine or spruce. You can just go out with literally no knowledge and start comparing and contrasting things and get kids to discuss. And that's going to hit so many of your ELA curriculums about assessing, comprehending, uh, discussion. And, and so much of that can happen without even putting pen to paper. And I think that's the other cool thing is that we're, um, by having group discussion and whatnot, we're, we're really, um, spending a lot more time using oral skills. Cause I think our, our schools put a lot of focus on written communication uh, to the detriment of a lot of our children who maybe don't have those skills. Um, cause I'm, you're talking about socioeconomic factors and stuff in there too. And then once again, I mentioned that the outdoors is a great leveler of, uh, of a lot of things. Awesome. Thanks, David. 
And Mitch, I, w- I was wondering too, with you, with you doing the outdoor school, do you find um, that having that lens, that focus across multiple subjects, that that really kind of drives inquiry in students when they're presented with that opportunity? Yeah, like we, we teach three science curriculums. So like Kristen, the environmental science, uh, earth science and geography. So they integrate quite nicely together. Um, and then we have English and phys ed along with that. So we're, we're very fortunate in, in that regard. Um, and we're able to like uh, travel the province. So, um, you know, like Amanda talked about, or Kristen talked about the, finding the best place to, to deliver your uh, curriculum. Um, that's kind of what we strive to do. So whether we're up on the Churchill River or down in Grasslands National Park, uh, you know, we can look at different soil types, that kind of stuff, and try to lead to some of those like uh, questioning opportunities. Um, I kind of liked what Kristen said too about changing the scientific method and, and not having such a, a rigid uh, a view on that. And we worked with a couple of uh, their grad students um, at the U of S in their science program. And they just simplified it for our students. They were just like, I want you to think of an observation that you had and then a question that that leads to. And you just start like chasing that thread down. And so we've kind of run with that over the past few months. And that's been been really um i think a good way for students that maybe don't engage with the sciences like we'll get a lot of kids that they don't love science necessarily they just want something different and so it makes it uh, much easier for them to enter into that subject area as well so for for someone who's maybe new starting starting out and anyone could jump in on this what what would kind of be um the process that someone could work through in terms of you know, they're like, you know what, I really want to incorporate some of the, some outdoor education, doing some interdisciplinary cross-curricular things. Um, what's kind of the process that someone could begin with to kind of go from planning to actually executing and engaging um, in an outdoor activity? Um, we've got experience on this panel that ranges from planning, obviously, multi-day trips to simply just going out in your neck of the woods um, and doing something there. So where, where would maybe, what would be that process in terms of what it would look like to plan an outdoor ed experience? I think it's really important to be like quite familiar with the area that you're going to go visit with your class. So I think that's where I would start and just kind of like being, yeah, being comfortable and, um, being able to maybe anticipate some of the challenges that you might have in that location. Uh, And, you know, I'm speaking from maybe like a a multi-day, I guess even a a half-day experience kind of thing, but when you're going to be out there for more than an hour, that's where I would start. Is it as simple as, well, here's a question that I want to tackle. Let's get outside and go explore. Um, Or are you a little bit more methodical in your, in your approach? I start very small. Uh, depending on the group, uh, you have to find out too whether or not your children are comfortable going. Uh, I do make sure that it's well planned before I go, as well as I make sure I have to ask for parental permission. I mean, that's something that we all know. But even just starting and going out in your schoolyard, like even doing something for five, ten minutes to begin with, I would say that that is probably the biggest thing for me is just to do something small first. Um, also engage your colleagues uh ask someone who's already doing outdoor in other areas i found that that has really worked well um 
a lot of our instructors here are also facilitators and teacher educators. It goes across a whole gamut of the curriculum. So get somebody else to go with you too. I guess that's the thing that I would talk about right now. And just say, start small, give it a go. I was just going to say, um, if, if you're going outside, just to go outside because your principal tells you you need to incorporate more outdoor education into your learning, you're doing it wrong, right? Like, I completely agree with Deborah. It has to be meaningful. So maybe the start is more looking at what you want to teach. And if it's, if it's better outside or you think that it's more meaningful, take them outside and do the planning to get them outside, right? And then you find the right spot. I think it's it, the... the backwards way of thinking of it is like hey, that's a really cool spot and my kids love going there what can I teach there like I think it's better to think about the concept first and just to make sure that that learning is meaningful I think maybe just to add to what Amanda was saying um, to make sure that before you take a group of kids outside that you have your administration on board um, there are lots of administrators that are excellent with allowing all sorts of opportunities but um, if you were to surprise them with something that happened outside that they weren't expecting or that you didn't have you know a waiver or some planning um, that puts them in a really difficult spot um, with kids that might get injured or stung by bees or maybe have an allergic reaction to something I think you'd probably want to plan that. And so I'm going to kind of jump in on what Amanda said. If you're going to take kids outside, there, there should be some idea in your head of what you want them to see. And then if other things happen while you're out there, which kind of leads into the observational things that we were talking about before, but that's just gravy on top. I mean, that's just awesome. But um, just to make sure that you are covered, that your principal knows where you're going, why you're going there, and that you could justify it um, to someone if there were questions asked. You know, is, is there professional development opportunities out there that you have participated in um, or courses or certifications that um, you've done that have really lended themselves well um, to furthering your your own um, knowledge and practice as an outdoor educator that would be would be helpful for um, the audience at large that we have today. Exciting PD um, stuff that I've really enjoyed has been uh, some of the, the uh, wilderness first aid experiences, and then um, our class does uh, canoe trips. So I've done uh, quite a bit of canoeing PD, which has also been really rewarding. It's, it's also a lot of fun. So that, uh, that helps too. Uh, and then of course, all the stuff that Deborah's kind of mentioned throughout like the project wet project wild, um, all those kind of things too. Mitch, you totally stole two of mine. Uh, the wilderness first aid or like through SAS outdoors is unreal. It's super good. And you learn more than just first aid. That, that's awesome. The canoeing's always great because you learn again, more than just canoeing. Um, but some of the best PD as a, as a teacher I've done is just going on trips with other educators. Um, so if I wanted to do something new, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it until I did it with somebody else first. And I learned from them. And then, uh, lately having elders come on trips with us, that's been phenomenal. Um, they, they can tell the stories and that it, it's, I think we need to be doing more of that and having elders in just about everything we do, especially outside. It's huge. 
I'll maybe jump in too. Everybody's taken the ones that I had, but uh, some additional ones that I can think of, um, especially if you were wanting to start small, like if you were just getting into outdoor ed and you just wanted to do some cool stuff with kids outside. Um, David and I actually went to a bushcraft course last year and, and learned some ridiculous little skills that you could either take with you when you go on some of these bigger trips or you can just do it in the schoolyard. Um, so something like that would be really, really excellent PD. I, I can't remember the last time where, you know, I was like, wow, this is cool. Um, what, what was another one? Uh, I did a four school designation last year, and that is something that's really taking outdoor learning and kind of flipping it on its lid to it's a very European style model. Uh, that was excellent. That's a year long course though. So, I mean, it's, there's a lot of work and things attached to that, but that would be something that I would recommend. And then to jump in, I mean, Mitch and Amanda have already talked about it, but um, with canoeing or paddling, um, places like Montreal River Outpost or up at Churchill River Outfitters, they run courses so that you could go up and even if you weren't confident enough to take your own kids up um, you could join up with a with a an advisor course and get your certification which leads to your confidence and then you can take kids and you can hire guides to come with you if you're still a little unsure or you don't know the area um, that's that's absolutely excellent PD it's really well done if uh, anybody does canoe trips on moving water, I'd highly recommend the Swift Water Rescue course as well that the uh, Churchill River Canoe Outfitters offers a couple times a year. Um, that is probably one of the most fun things you can do up there. I'll just add that like a lot of people have mentioned um, courses that uh, do cost money, but there are a lot of, there's a lot of amazing PD that is one of the um, I guess silver linings of this global pandemic right now is that a lot of uh, organizations are putting training online and there is a lot of excellent training out there right now um, so sign up for some um, newsletters like Sask Outdoors will send out their uh, newsletters and, and list all the training that's happening with them but uh, like eco-friendly Sask is another great newsletter you can sign up for that tells you a lot of training that's happening and just getting involved with, um, uh, organizations like the Sask bird breeding Atlas. Um, they, they've done a bunch of uh, bird identification stuff this uh, during the pandemic, um, nature conservancy of Canada. They're doing some plant ID stuff and all this is free and, and online. And I think that's, uh, there's a, with the pandemic, a lot of organizations now are, are really ramping up their, ed their online education, which makes it a lot more accessible to a, a lot of us. Um, and it's not necessarily going out in the field necessarily to identify these things, but uh, it still gives you a leg up in some education. Um, I wanted to, to tag on to something that Amanda said too, uh, like about that mentorship um, and like going with other leaders because uh, like safety in these experiences, I think, is, is paramount. And I always joke when I started teaching outdoor school, um, Kim Archibald came on three or four trips with us and I always said he was like kind of babysitting us, but really it was just providing that like mentorship experience because you're, uh, you know, you have 24 students and you're in the middle of the grasslands and it starts snowing and like, how do you deal with that? And so 
um, if you ever have the opportunity to go on trips with other other outdoor ed leaders, I would highly recommend that. Yeah, uh, I'm a little bit biased because um, I have the outdoor ed portfolio on SPIA, Saskatchewan Physical Education Association, but um, SPIA wants to support all areas of the curriculum and uh, they've got a mentorship list on on their website for outdoor education so if you're looking to reach out to someone within your area i think there's like 25 or 30 people on that list um, and they all have different niches but we would we would support you in finding someone to uh to help you out if you needed whether maybe it's just virtually uh through email phone calls or maybe like some of these people would actually go on a trip with you so um yeah check check out spia and uh they've got you know lending stuff too we've got two kits a vitamin n kit for elementary vitamin nature and then one for high school where it's a canoe barrel packed with everything you'd need for a couple days of a trip so yeah just let me know if you want support that way awesome thank you guys so much that was that's great information looking here at our time the the last thing we kind of wanted to go to was what advice would you guys give to outdoor educators kind of going forward you know whatever's been really really beneficial beneficial or helpful um in your own journey but what what advice would you kind of leave our participants and leave our group with today um and i think we've talked everybody's talked about all of this already but if i had to pick one thing out of the three that I have on the screen, I would say planning. Um, planning to have permission, planning to have parent support, planning to have to make sure that you're not taking kids somewhere where they're not going to have a good experience, planning so that you're not out of your element, um, and then more planning on top of that. Because if you're unprepared, I just think that um, you're setting yourself up for something that you might be able to get through with a good experience, but you also might not. And why would you chance that? So if you're not comfortable going somewhere big, like I know some of us have done these crazy big, you know, backcountry canoe trips, and those are amazing. But the amount of planning and preparation that that takes is, is huge. And for someone that's just starting out, you know, plan or prepare for a 30 minute session outside in your schoolyard. Do that first, and then when you get some confidence, then you plan and prepare for the next one. Um, so that kind of is scaffolding, which is sort of my second point there. So it's great that I'm right after Kristen's uh, because she talked about planning, and I, I want to just assure you that I'm not negating what Kristen's saying here. Um, I, I will actually go to my my third point. Uh, that's the one I'll explain. Resist the urge to overplan. I am not in any way, any way saying don't plan because planning is is obviously really important. <laughs> And, um, like we take, we take great or age 12 and 13 kids on a, a five day canoe trip up North and you can't do that without planning. But what I'm getting at here is, um, the over planning your activities, uh, sometimes doesn't allow, or often doesn't allow nature to actually teach. And I think with, um, our Western model of education, quite often it, uh, it sets teachers up as like the pinnacle of knowledge and like teachers know everything. And, um, and we are doing our students a big disservice in that regard, uh, by thinking that the only way they can access knowledge is through a teacher when they are able to learn so much from nature and, um, and we, and if we just allow them to experience that a little bit more rather than like, 
I guess I'm talking about having like an itinerary for every minute of your day. Um, allow students to have some breathing room and explore and to notice things and to discuss those things. Because if we're trying to uh, plan everything, then uh, they don't have the opportunity to, to look at things and, and say, Hey, I wonder about this and to be curious and for teachers to say, to actually say to their students, you know, I don't know. I think it's really important because uh, we, we tell students that or Students, I think, think teachers quite often know everything and it's important to teach them that we don't and, it's, and we actually help cultivate the curiosity and wonder about the, the mystery of nature, the mystery of being outside. There's so many things we don't understand and never will understand. And it's important to teach that to our kids and allow them to get excited about that, um, that mystery. And uh, that doesn't happen if we're uh, planning every minute of every, every trip. So. Um, allow some time for kids to breathe and really just experience delve into nature. Okay. So build trust. I talked about that already. I'm, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I think it's self-explanatory. Um, you, you have to help them build skills that allow them to be comfortable in the outdoors. I think if I asked every one of the people in this panel, they would have a positive outdoor experience that has propelled them forward or, or a host of them anyways. Um, so giving them that positive and making them comfortable in the uncomfortable. Um, and then the last one, build skills that allow them to go beyond their comfort zones. You, you need once they're there and they're anxious and they're hungry um, and you'll know it, I can't describe it perfectly, but you'll know it. That's when you push them and you push them just about to the brink. And then those are the experiences that they'll never forget. But yeah, that's what I got. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Amanda. Deb. I think for me, what it comes to is there's the collaboration aspect that people have talked about. Um, the students here, they get together and work together. Um, I think the other thing that I would go, like there's three points there. The one I'm going to go to is on um, community and making sure that you have the opportunity to engage the community and be gentle with yourself as well as with the land and with the teachers and with the children that you're working with. It's so important to get to know your traditional knowledge keepers in the area. They'll help you with doing the land-based aspects of things. And then the last slide I believe that I uh, pr provided was the one that had the, uh, this is community here. And then it's just the consistency and say, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go out and do it. I'm gonna try, take a risk and, and just be gentle with yourself, the students and the land and think about how, you can become part of what's happening out there. Yeah, I, I kind of thought these up for the past couple of days, but I really liked uh, what everyone else was saying. And um, I think one of Amanda's was like that building trust and like really like none of these other tips can happen without building that trust in your, your class. And with our class, we always tell them like nothing fun is going to happen without that trust. And it goes, you know, both directions. Um, uh, don't be too rigid be comfortable being uncomfortable and going where the class and the learning can take you um i was out at pike lake with a class and i had this in my head that we were going to talk about glaciation and sand and all this kind of stuff and like all they wanted to do was look at the birds and i was just too focused to like even realize that and you know they had a great day but i missed a large opportunity so it's um like david was saying like being flexible while you're out there so you're you're planned but you're um, you're also flexible and you're, you're, you know, you're able to give in that regard. And then, uh, 
just uh, consistency. So kind of like Deborah was saying, um, doing it again and again and not expecting it to work perfectly on the first time. Um, but building that routine with your class and, and those, uh, you know, routines outside and this is how we act, those kind of things are all, um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a journey. That's for sure. All right. Well, there's lots of awesome stuff in there. Heather, did you have any uh, takeaways or big learnings or aha moments there? I did. I really like that the focus was on Saskatchewan a lot. And I learned a lot of Saskatchewan names that I hadn't heard of before or re reheard <laughs> names yeah. that I'm used to. Yeah. So for example, Colin Fry or, um, or Rebecca with back 40, uh, they both teach wilderness first aid. And that's something that I'm very interested in learning more about. And I'd like to take a course in wilderness first aid coming up. Yeah. Awesome. That's always been on my list. Wilderness first aid. I think one of the, one of my takeaways was, uh, they were, there was some discussion on connecting with community and connecting into community as being kind of an important thing. And I think that's something that, you know, we sometimes forget about that. We need to plan a trip way out somewhere crazy. Um, but I know in our division trips will be limited. So maybe, uh, you know, looking around what's, what's available nearby, you know, within 10, 15 minutes of the school, where could, where could we get outside and maybe who could we connect with? Maybe there's like parents who, um, might have some skill sets that they can bring in with us, or maybe some nearby community organizations that can like share some teachings with us. And I think, uh, that, that would be a, something I'd like to try out going back and see what that looks like. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, kind of a mentality that I always have is do what you're good at and hire out the rest. Yeah. So uh, when we're when we're staying local and staying in our communities, I think it's fantastic to to find experts around who can uh, not necessarily come in during COVID times to our classrooms, but yeah. maybe we could do a Zoom call like you and I are doing now. Yeah. Or uh, or yeah, offer a panel discussion like we did here. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, being forced into this online world has uh, ca- caused us maybe to rethink how we might do things, whereas whereas normally we might always go somewhere. But it, it could be just as easy to say, hey, let's connect on Zoom for 15 minutes, come chat with my class about this. And it's way easier for somebody than driving across town or to a different community or, or wherever right. and we can still maybe connect with people, um, but in a different way. So yeah, hopefully exactly. that we can find some new connections there. Mm-hmm. And I think um, going online has kind of connected us to other classrooms as well. So it's not that we're just in this bubble of your, your outdoor ed program and my outdoor ed program. But if we're if we're both willing to um, to learn online from someone, then we can we can jump in with a few classrooms and it it really opens up the opportunities there. Totally. Totally. Awesome. Well, uh, anything else we want to add there, Heather? Uh, I don't think so. Nothing except that I'm really looking forward again to uh, to future episodes and maybe releasing more of the webinars that we that we did in May and June of this year. Yeah. Totally. I'm excited to get, get rolling with things. Um, if you, you know, hear things that you enjoy, if you, if you think this would be useful, share it out to other educators, uh, as we are just getting started in this podcast, you know, we are word of mouth is a good thing for us. So if you can share that around, that'd be great. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. This podcast is produced in association with Sask Outdoors. Check us out online at saskoutdoors.org.